Amen. God is so good, isn't he? Uh, as we get ready to get into his word, can we just acknowledge the Lord's presence and our team just leading us? Just thank the Lord for who he is. Um, there is no doubt that as you think about what we just experienced, right, even just the idea that uh, what he's done and it is well. Like we want you to hear that today, that God has done so much for us and it is well. It is well with our soul, and there's moments and times where God needs to get that deep within our heart because there's other things going on, and uh, that's this sermon series. We are in a series called Kingdom Living. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and as we're in there, today we'll be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're looking at this idea of first and finest. Can you say that with me? First and finest. As we look at first and finest, this is a foundational teaching. This is one that there are elements of it that you're going to hear uh, over and over in the months and years ahead because it's a part of Genesis to Revelation. It's a reminder of who God is and what he calls us to when we respond to him. This is a series where we've talked about the things Jesus talks about because when we talk about the things he talks about, we'll better understand what it means to live for him. Amen. And so we've tackled some tough topics, and today we look at this issue of money and possessions, and, and, and some of you immediately are like, oh no, I'm here on that Sunday, right? And, and here's the thing, those that are nervous about money and possessions being talked about, that's because often we have such a misunderstanding. You, you see, our God doesn't need anything from you. He's the creator. He has everything. And we as a church, we don't need anything from you as much as we want something for you. That we want you to experience freedom and God's blessing, his first and his finest. And as we look at this and what it means, we have to acknowledge that there's times where we've got our hand in the cookie jar. None of you have noticed this? My hand is stuck in a jar. And I just wonder if actually you did not notice this or you just didn't know what to say. Because we've all had moments where not only was our hand caught in a, in a jar, but, but literally we grabbed onto something and we held on so tight that we couldn't get it off. That, that we realized in the, the grabbing a hold and, and, and getting connected, whether it was a possession or something with money or a relationship. Like, haven't you been tempted like I have to just hold on? And, and the thing is, Jesus wants us to understand that possessions and money aren't the issue, it's when they possess us. It's when they have such a grip on our lives that, that we are no longer in a, able to experience freedom. It was funny, I, I did that too fast in first service too. There was actually somebody that told me between services that for them, that was the moment where they felt like they could just breathe. When I pulled my hand out and let go, isn't that fitting? That in many ways, when we begin to let go, we can receive all that God has for us in the first and finest. And here's the deal. We live in a culture that's trying to get us to, to place us first, to, to put our things and desires and needs first. I mean, just in a very fun way, I mean, some of you probably like me, like you may not want to admit it right now, but my guess is there's been a moment where sometime over the last few years, like you pulled out your phone and you voted for who you thought should be first on American Idol, or on America's Got Talent, or on The Voice, 
Or, or maybe for you, you didn't actually cast a vote, but you've been watching The Golden Bachelor and you're wondering who's going to be first. You see, we are swimming in a culture that every day is trying to teach us that we are first and that our priorities should be according to our feelings. And as we get into what Jesus teaches, he actually shows us that, no, he's the first and the finest. He's given us the first and the finest. And he actually wants to continue to free us to receive the first and the finest as we respond to that. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to dive in to this. And uh, in the first few verses, picking up in uh, verse 19, actually, of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I'm going to just pause right there. You know, back then in that day and age, they... They, they literally had homes that were constructed in a way where thieves could literally break through a wall and steal the family inheritance or safe. That, that this for them would have meant that, that fundamentally they were being told that, listen, you know thieves can steal at any time. And, and that in that, if that's where your treasure is, there's going to be an issue. It says we're moths. Uh, and rot, rust destroy, and you and I understand this, right? We live in a day and age where we've seen the results of, of facilities, buildings that need work and help. Ours is one of them. Your home may be one of them. About a year ago, we realized that in Florida, uh, coming from the north, we didn't understand like, you know, that you have to paint your home every five years here typically to help protect the stucco. Some of you are like, oh, Right? So, so we had to get our home painted because it was due to help protect it from the decay that was happening from the sun. This is real stuff. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're placing your heart and treasure in those things, they're ultimately going to leave you wanting and full of worry. In fact, I just want to always mention this. Anytime the word treasure comes up, for about a year now, God has been leading me, and I've been sharing it with you, to pray that the treasure of the treasure coast would be Jesus. That you and I would be a part of something God could do here on the Treasure Coast that actually sees Jesus become the treasure in the first and the finest. Amen? So let me continue on. It says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither wrath nor rust destroy, where moth and rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, notice what Jesus does next. He's saying that where your treasure is, there your heart is, and vice versa. And he begins to call out things that can lead our heart astray. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is he saying? That it matters what you watch and look at with your eyes. That you and I live in a world filled with at least 5,000 marketing messages a day, according to Madison Avenue. We, we live in a day where not only is Madison Avenue trying to catch our eyes, but Wall Street is trying to catch our hearts. And at the end of the day, it sweeps us up into things that cause discontentment, cause us to feel insecure and abandoned and wanting more because we're seeing what others have and we no longer care and are content with what we have. Anybody else with me? Could you make it plain, Jesus? So what are you doing with your eyes? 
What do you need to redirect in order to be full of light? Because if you're fixated on darkness and other things, you're ultimately going to have a heart that's filled with that as well, is what Jesus is saying. Now he goes on, no one can serve two masters. For you they'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And if that's not a wake-up call, I don't know what is. It's so easy to get caught up in serving money and things and possessions and allowing them to have a grip on us when God's saying you can't serve two gods, you can serve me and me alone. Now it goes on and it tells us what happens when our money is possession or our, our God is money and possessions. Notice what he says next. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? There was a moment this last week where I was out on my front driveway on a phone call talking to somebody. We were talking about some issues with, with money and facility and, and, and those kind of things. And, and I'm processing this message, but I'm literally in the conversation on the phone in my front yard feeling my anxiety and worry rising. Have you ever been aware enough to recognize what's happening inside of you? If not, you need to start because it's super helpful. And so I'm beginning to feel this rising, and as it's rising, it was so incredible. I, I look over at our landscaping in front of the house, and there's a hummingbird humming around this small tree. I, I'm not good at landscaping. I'm not sure what it is. It's a plant in front of my house. And, and there's this hummingbird, and I look at it, and it's almost like God saying, do you see it? Do you see it? Because I see you, just like I'm taking care of it, I can take care of you. I looked, so just kind of in my heart, said, thank you, God, for reminding me of that. Again, I'm preparing to share this with you. And, and as, as that happens, we continue to talk, the hummingbird leaves, and all of a sudden, it starts rising again. And the hummingbird came back, y'all. I've never seen a hummingbird come back. Right? They usually bounce on, they move on. And so it's like, God's like, I'm not going to let you miss this. Such a gift to me. Creation is speaking to us about God, and it is a reminder. Look around you. He's taking care of the world in a pretty incredible way. And he cares more about you and I than a hummingbird. Amen? He goes on. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither they toil, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, and for those of you new to the Bible, King Solomon in the Old Testament is one of the wealthiest people that has ever lived. History proves this archaeologically, it's proven. So Solomon, it says, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
As we were reading over this and praying over it as a staff earlier this week, this particular text, somebody in the room read that text in New Living Translation. And those last two verses, there was something in it that just stood out to me. And I want to share it with you. It says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate. Can you say dominate? Dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So the heavenly father knows what we need. And I want to ask you the question that I felt like the spirit was asking me earlier this week. What is dominating your thoughts right now? Is it my needs? Is it the things? Is it the deficits, the gaps, the places that that I want God to show up? And he's saying, I got you. I'm taking care of your needs. Let me dominate your thoughts. Let me be first. Let me provide my finest for you. You see, as you look at that, there's some implications for us that have to do with our heart. God wants to do some heart work today. If you're taking notes, our treasures in life reveal our heart and who has the wheel. Can I get an amen? I mean, ultimately, where our heart goes reveals who's really steering, who's really in control, and what really the treasure is. And as you think about that, it's a moment to ask, yeah, what really is my treasure? What really is my security in? What really is God doing in my heart and asking for for him to really have the wheel? Now, if we're going to talk about money and possessions, we need to really look at the big picture of this too, because it is the thing that in many ways Jesus taught on over 25% of the times in the Gospels. Uh, Some would say almost a third of his teaching had to do with money and possessions. Uh, 11 of the 39 parables actually had something to do with money and possessions. It's the second most taught on thing in the entirety of the Bible. But here's what's different about what the Bible teaches in general and what Jesus predominantly was teaching. He, He was trying to help you and I see not a bunch of financial principles that would teach you how to be wealthy, that would teach you how to invest, There are great biblical principles around finances. Don't mishear me. But what actually what Jesus was doing and teaching on was designed to set you and I free so that our treasure was actually him. So then we were in a position that he could provide and take care of us. Because he knew you and I live in a world that's going to try to creep in and pull us away from the things of God. The very things that he has for us. So I want to chew on this for a few minutes, this a theology of giving, of, of giving and money. And, and the first thing I want you to do if you're taking notes is to realize that what Jesus is trying to say when he's saying, you know, this, this money, these possessions will ultimately decay and they'll ultimately uh, fail you, is this reality. Money is a bad God that leaves us wanting, worrying, and wasting away. Can can you hear that today? In in a very capitalistic society, an American culture that is so fixated on money, money is a bad God. And from Genesis to Revelation, we are reminded of that, that ultimately it's going to create in us wants and desires and worries, and it's wasting away. It's going to fail us at some point in our lives. It's a bad God. There's a comedian that said, money talks, and mostly it says goodbye. 
It was actually during Jesus' day that there was different rabbinical schools. One was Halil, and Jesus was often teaching and and changing what they were teaching. But this is actually in the school of Halil, something they taught about money that's actually fairly accurate and true. They would say in that day and age in first century Jewish culture, the more possessions, the more care. In modern day translation, more money, more problems, right? I mean, we know these things because... With more comes more, more responsibility, more care. Have you noticed all of the storage facilities popping up all over the Treasure Coast? Woo, he went there, right? He went there. It's interesting to see how all of that is happening right now all around us geographically. Storage spaces and places to put things. The bottom line is, Money is a bad God. Possessions are a bad God. They'll leave us wanting, worrying, and wasting away. But there's some good news, right? There's some really, really good news that we're going to get to. But, but before we go there, I want to just lean into this a little bit further. There's an Irish proverb that, that said, I heard somebody share recently that for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditches. Deep thoughts, Right? That for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditches, and there's two ditches in relation to this bad God called money. One, on this hand, is a ditch we can fall into that maybe based on our family of origin, maybe based on the things that we've been through with money, is is this ditch called security, where, where we fall into this trap that our security is based on our bank account or our possessions, or our things, and so we can try to accumulate more to feel that we're going to be okay and secure. The other ditch is on the other side, and and by the way, this ditch, this shows up as those of you that are savers, right? And and then the other ditch, if you're married, and, and it's amazing how God does this, he'll often bring two people together, one who is the saver and one who is the spender, right? And in this ditch, it's really about significance. At some level, we spend because we want to feel significant or we want to feel happy or, or taken care of in ways that can show up and show others that we're significant. And both of these are traps of the enemy that try to pull us away from what God actually has for us. So the second aspect we need to see with the theology of giving and chewing on this is this. And this is the good news. This is incredible news. Are you all ready? Y'all aren't as fired up as I am today. Okay. It is good news. God is a good God that is first, loves first, and gives us his first and finest. And those three things you will hear over and over and over from me in the months and years ahead. Anytime we talk about giving our possessions. Because if we understand those three things, our response becomes, I believe, what God desires of us. You, you see, the, let me just start with the first, the fact that God is first. Whether you believe that or not today, our hope is that you come to that place that you realize that God is first, always will be first, and he's going to be first in your life. You see, if you don't make the decision for him to be first ahead of his return, Scripture says that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow in the end in judgment. We would much rather be a people that say, 
Jesus, you are first. Save me and sanctify me. Save me and lead me forward. But either way, he's going to be first. Listen to what Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says about this. He, that is God, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, say all things, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, he is first, and when we begin to place him first, we begin to be able to relax and let go and allow those weights we've been carrying, the worries and the wants, to actually rest in the arms of the one who created it all and owns it all anyway. He is first. Secondly, he loves first. This is the gospel. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He looks at you and I and he says, I see you, I love you, and I'm first, and I'm going to love first by giving my son Jesus to you. That is beautiful. That is the gospel. That is the good news of what he did that we could not do. Religion teaches us that we have to make it right. We have to do right. But the gospel says, without Jesus, you're never going to be right. Without Jesus and the love that he gives you first, you will never be able to live up to the standard of a holy God. That's the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. That's the starting point today. If you don't know Jesus, is to actually receive him as your Lord and Savior, to, to receive his gift of love that is first. So he loves first. He was given first for you and I. It's amazing what he does. Now, it's out of that place that we then respond. And that's the third point in this theology that we're chewing on of giving. It's that we respond by giving our first and our finest. And, and here's what I need to, to just help you understand. God is trustworthy. So when he gives us his first and finest, we also can give him our first and finest and trust that. Now, if we say this as a church, you better be able to hold us accountable to be trustworthy as well. Amen? And I just want you to know that, you know, I've been here three years. We've had a clean audit, two financial reviews, we were approved last year by the ECFA, Evangelical Council for Financial Accreditation, for a certification. We're ECFA certified as a storehouse and place that is stewarding things by God's grace the right way. Two weeks ago, by God's grace, two weeks ago, our certification was renewed for 2024. That is awesome. And, and it's good to know that we have to renew that every year, meaning if we start to get shady, they're going to catch us, and so should you. That's good news. Yes, the pastor just said shady in relation to money. Okay? Can we just lighten up a little? All right? So we want you to feel good about bringing your first and finest and know that we take it serious. And, and it's out of that heart that, that, in fact, we see that we are to respond that way, and it's throughout Scripture. Let me show you one place 
where it shows up. It's actually one of the most famous biblical narratives because it sets in motion so much good and also so much destruction. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 4. And I want to look just at the first four or five verses there that have to do with one of the first offerings in response to God's goodness. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his Eve his wife. And when, when that says knew, like that means like my God knew her. All right, some of you lost me. Yes, I said it, okay? He, she, she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Single ladies, that is not your life verse. Okay? Don't get that tattooed on your arm. This is her story. We'll pray that God provides what he wants, you know, as well. But at the end of the day, she knew where her help came from, and she gave credit to the Lord. Amen? It says, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Can you say firstborn? Okay, this is where we see this idea of first. First fruits, firstborn. So the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, verse 5. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, what's set in motion there is this moment in time where God is basically saying, Abel's offering I receive. It's a first and finest. Scholars will differ on why. Many would believe that it's because it's not of the ground. It's of a blood offering, which would foreshadow the need for the blood that we would see in the Old Testament law and eventually in Jesus and his atoning blood. Amen? It also is something that, because it was first, it says very specifically, it's the first fruits. So, so we move in the story from being a people that, that might be tempted to give God the leftovers, to maybe tip God versus tithing God, tithing to God. Versus bringing not our first and finest, but just what's there at the end of the week or the end of the month. Because God looks at Abel and says, I'll receive yours. I have regard for it. I will bless this. But for Cain, he looks at him and has no regard. Cain gets angry, and this is what happens. Cain actually, in that moment, rather than turning his eyes to God turns away his eyes. And what did Jesus say? Our eyes are the lamp, and darkness begins to invade Cain's life. Cain actually goes down such a dark path that he kills Abel. Kills his brother Abel, and from there, if you jump ahead, I'm going to go ahead five generations, because we have to understand if we're a parent or a grandparent or we're somebody pouring into the next generation, We are teaching them to be people of the first and finest and setting in motion blessing, or we're setting in motion what happened in Cain's family. By turning away five generations later, I guess it would be his great, great, great grandson, was a man named Lamech. Lamech's name means poor and wanting. He actually is the birthplace or beginning of polygamy, and actually was incredibly greedy and sought revenge against his enemies. You see, if we don't set in motion the first and finest, 
we're likely setting in motion something very destructive. This is why Jesus said we can't serve God and money. Only one can be our God. So what is our gospel response? Hopefully it is to say, God, I'm going to place, because of what you've done for me, I'm going to place you first and give you my finest. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're like, wow, like, yes, I need to do that. I just don't even know where to begin. Just start with what you're able that says you're putting him first. Like, we know statistically right now, 62% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And, and that's a survey. So I actually think it's higher because surveys require honesty. Anybody? And so what does that mean? It means you may not be in a place where you can give what your heart wants to right now, but you can definitely put him first on Sunday or Monday and say, hey, this is yours, this is yours, and watch God grow it. I promise you, I guarantee you, I don't need you to look to me or to this church to be your blessing. If you look to God and understand this principle, God will be faithful and will supply not everything you want, but he will supply everything you need. Amen? So let's let that be our response. So those three things we'll be looking at a lot over and over because there's throughout Scripture this reality. Now, Jesus realizes that the moment we begin to touch on these things, we're tempted to fall into anxiety. We live in an age of anxiety in America right now. Anxiety and worry are at all-time highs uh, statistically. Uh, It's for a reason right? It's for a reason. We've got away from trusting God and believing that he's good and he'll supply and take care of us. Notice what Jesus says next. He hits it head on in verse 33 and 34. Uh, And these two verses, actually, it was funny, between services, I, I pulled out an old Bible of mine out of my closet in my office. And I found that in June, on June 30th of 2000, Matthew 6, 33 and 34, these next two verses, I wrote as a life verse 23 years ago. I didn't get to share that in first service because I didn't realize until I saw it again. And I'm telling you, God has provided and been faithful every step of the way. Every step of the way. He is good and he is able. And, and here's the thing. When you think about, uh, before I read it, when you think about what does it mean for you to, to, to give and to put him first and, and to bring the finest, here's what it doesn't mean. In my home right now, we have four drivers. Uh, my wife and I, uh, actually we have five drivers. Is that right? Is my math right? Uh, unbelievable. So, so we have five vehicles in our driveway. Now, none of them are new. The newest one's like a 2018. So it looks like a used car lot, okay? And, and so these vehicles are there because my niece, my, do- my oldest who's 19, my son, it's like Tetris every day trying to figure out how to make that thing work in our driveway, right? And and here's the deal. When we think about a response, here's the wrong response that we often get caught up in with our giving. If I gave you my truck and said, hey, you can borrow it for a couple days, um, you know, that's that's my baby, right? That's that's my baby. Uh, It's used, but I love this truck. I waited 16 years to get this truck. When my son was born, I sold my other one. So it was so much fun praying for God uh, to provide one with my son. And then when I got it, I got to, you know, put my hand on his back. He's taller than me now, so it was more like this. And and as I did that, I'm like, buddy, I waited your whole life for this truck, right? It was a true statement. 
So, so if I let you take my truck and you borrow it for a couple days and then you show back up at my house and you're like, hey, uh, I got a gift for you. I have something I want to bless you with, Pastor. I want to, I want to like, just give you something that is so great. And you walk outside and you hand me the keys to my truck. I'm going to kind of look at you and go, y'all lost your mind. You don't own that. That ain't yours. I'll let you borrow it. God owns it all. Our giving, when we put him first, is ultimately about not what God needs, but about responding with what we need. About saying, God, thank you for what you've done. And it sets us free. It sets us free. So verse 33 and 34 talk about this issue of priorities, about what first looks like. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me encourage you, if you're struggling with worry and anxiety, to memorize these two verses, to literally Get them so deeply embedded in your soul that you can say, God, you will be what I seek first because he will provide the first and finest. This is such an important concept. And if you're taking notes here, seek God first and foremost and you will receive his first and finest. When we seek him first and foremost, and you might say, well, where does the word foremost come from? It actually it comes out of the original language for seek first. In Matthew 6.33, the original language implies not an, a list of things that we would prioritize like God is one, my marriage is two if I'm married, my kids are three, my workplace is four, you know, from there it might be my money or my my recreation or my extended family or friends. Have any of you been taught that, 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 that it's God first, then, then right? And, and here's what I want you to understand. That's not wrong, but that's not what Jesus is teaching here. You see, when he says seek first, he's not saying put me first and then go put your wife first and then go put your workplace first and then go, he's saying First in everything. That actually, if we understand this, Jesus is supposed to be first in our relationship with God. Jesus is supposed to be first if we're married in our relationship with our spouse. Jesus is supposed to be first in our relationship with our kids. Jesus is supposed to be first in our workplace. Jesus is supposed to be first with our extended family. Hello, Thanksgiving dinner. Some of you are getting anxious already. You're like, I know that dysfunction's coming, uncle who's so-and-so. Too real? What does it look like to say, no, Jesus, I'm going to seek you first and foremost in everything. Because when we do that, we will receive the first and the finest. He'll take care of us better than he takes care of the sparrow, better than he takes care of the lilies. He is there for us and wants to provide. But sometimes we have to have moments like this where he says, okay, we got to reprioritize some things in your life. We've got to remember what the greatest gift actually is. Let me read to you a quote by author Matthew uh, Smethurst. He says, The good life is not about having everything you wanted. It's about having God, even if it's in the midst of nothing you wanted. 
That actually when he's first and he's the one that's there, he takes care of us in, a, in the midst of it all in a way that nothing else will. So what does that look like today? This issue of worry is real. It's significant. There's actually a story, uh, Corey Ten Boom, uh, who survived the Holocaust and you know, she has lived her life and written an autobiography and just been all over the world sharing her testimony about Jesus. She shares that when she was six years old, her father, who was a good father, imparted to her some wisdom around this issue of worry. At six, she was worrying and anxious. And, and her father said, listen, Corey, when, when the train leaves the station, when do you actually need the ticket to get on the train? Is it... The day before, is it the, you know, five hours before? Is it when the other trains are leaving? When do you need the ticket? And she said, well, it's when the conductor comes and it's my time in that moment. And she said, that's the way God works. He wants you to trust him, not worry about all this other stuff, but to know in the moment, when it's time, he will take care of you and he will supply Proverbs 3, 5, and, uh, 5 and 6 are probably two of the most famous verses that there are. And I'm going to actually, I want to go 5 through 12, and this is where we're going to finish today. I actually changed it over the last couple of days because God was really uh, shifting kind of where I, I felt like he wanted us to, to land this message. And, and this is why. These verses talk about a, a return, turning to the Father, trusting him, believing in who he is and what he has for you. And I want to just read through this because I do think that there's something God wants to do in your mind and heart today. In fact, I would say this before I read it. Some of you are so caught up in what you're doing with your hands. Okay, have I tithed? Do I need to do that? Do I need to, to commit to this? And I would say slow down. In fact, just take your hands right now and just relax them, whatever that looks like. Because the real work God wants to do, I think, is to first connect our head and our heart. To say when we return to him, when we really come to him and trust him, when those two are connected to the first and to the finest, he'll take care of everything else that needs to happen. You'll know what you need to give. You'll know where you need to serve. You'll, you'll know the purpose that God has for your life. So let's read it in Proverbs 3, 5 through 12. I got so caught up in it, I forgot to turn to the, the verses. Can you be patient for a second? Because I already found it. You ready? All right, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Can you see what that would have meant to Cain in that moment when God is saying it's crouching at your door? Turn away. Don't let it dominate you. Turn to me. Look at what happens. He says, turn away from evil, verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the what? First fruits of all your produce. So because he's first and gives us the finest, 
we also respond by the, with the first and the finest. And look at what happens, verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's a, a reminder that our God wants to pour out blessing in abundance on us. And again, it may not be in the ways you want, but it'll be in the ways you need. And sometimes it'll show up in ways you didn't even know you needed. And it may not be because of the bank account. It may not be because of the material things. It may be God shows up in abundance, in breakthrough, in relationships, in breakthrough, in your involvement in his kingdom or in the church or in your community. You may see breakthrough in the workplace or in your retirement, in the HOA. I don't know where God wants to show up, but I do know he is a good God that wants to break through with abundance in our lives when we place him first. Amen? Amen. It says, verse 11, my son, and this is for anybody here who's like, oh man, this has been hard today. I hope you hear the heart of the Lord. Hope I've done a decent enough job that, that you can hear that yes, there's moments where we need to hear truth, but listen to why. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. The heavenly father delights in you and I. He loves you and I. When he corrects us, it's because he has more for us. It's because he wants to lead us to freedom. He wants to lead us to abundance. He wants to lead us to his blessing. And so this issue of first and finest is significant. And for some of you right now, you're like, okay, sweet. I made it through the morning. He won't do this again for 51 more weeks. Because you think we're only going to do this one Sunday a year. I'm sorry. Did you catch earlier that Jesus taught on this 20, more than 25% of the time? That actually in the Bible, there's over 2,300 mentions of money and possessions. So here's my commitment to you. I'm going to teach what the Bible says. And I'll teach it as often as the Spirit leads because I want us to be a people that are alive in Christ and living the abundant life and what God has for us. So let me ask you three questions as we land the plane, so to speak. The first, how have you responded to God's first and finest for your life? Have you taken time to, to respond in worship, to receive his first and finest? If you've been around church for a while and haven't received Jesus, Now's your moment. Now's the time where you say, okay, I need his first and finest. For some of us, the gospel has got stale. Church has got routine. And I think that's something we need to acknowledge and be open and honest about. Of, wow, I've lost sight of how good he has been. Second question. Are you giving your first and finest to God and trusting him? Are, are you able to say, God, my treasure is you, and it's showing up in how you spend your time and how you spend your money, how you spend the, the thoughts that are in your life. Start that journey today. Give him your first and finest and watch him pour out that abundance. Third, what priorities need adjustment in your life for Jesus to be first? Where is Jesus saying in that list of things, I want to be first in this one, and you know that you haven't allowed me to be first. So I've processed this message over the last couple of months 
praying and preparing, knowing that this was coming, God has been really drilling down on my trust in the finest. You see, I was blessed. My dad, who's in the room, made me tithe off my first dollar. Literally, 10 cents off that first dollar when I was like eight or nine years old. We fought and we fought. But somehow that got in my heart. Somehow when we got married, that idea of putting him first was so ingrained in me that that, that was there, this, this tithing. But you know what's happened over time? It is I think because of the worries and responsibilities of life and leadership, because I live in the same world you do, I, I think I needed to be reminded of not just the first, but the finest, that my God will take care of it. That if I just allow him to be who he is, that he will take care of me. What does that look like in your priorities? Where is he saying, you've been anxious, you've been fearful, you've been trying to control it in that department, and I want to be first. So I'm going to pray over us. In fact, I'm going to just ask that you stand if you're able. If you're online, we are so glad that you're with us today. We're going to go into a time of just turning our eyes to Jesus and responding, worshiping him, praising him. If you need prayer for anything, if you want to just come forward and lay something down, whether it's literal or just spiritually saying, God, it's yours, whatever that looks like, our prayer partners will be up here, will be available. We would love to pray with you. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you that you are first and that you give us your first and finest. Father, deepen our trust in you as we turn our eyes to you right now, Jesus. We thank you that you are good, that you are loving, that you want to care for us. Forgive us for allowing money and possessions, priorities to get out of control. May we just let go and allow you to be Lord in this moment. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're invited to come forward. Praise him, worship him right where you're at or come forward. Let's use this time to respond.